What's going on, everybody? This is the Sooner Nation podcast. Matt Hofeld along with Rich DeCray. Norman Softball Regional is about to get underway. We're going to spend some time talking about that. But after a little bit of a hiatus from football conversations last week, we have a thousand and three topics, I believe, regarding Oklahoma football to discuss in this episode of the Sooner Nation podcast. So bear with us. We got to talk about softball at the front, but we've got a lot of football talk. Uh, five-star recruits, how many are coming to Oklahoma in the 2022 class? Has Oklahoma found already found a, a, a replacement for departed running back Seth McGowan? Hey, Theo Howard has landed somewhere. And um, the 24-7 post-spring top 25, we're going to give you some thoughts on that as well. Uh, so welcome everybody to the show, Rich. Let's let's start by talking softball though, because that is the big story right now. When you're talking about University of Oklahoma athletics, the Norman Regional breakdown is like this: A and M, Texas A and M, was going to play uh, play against Wichita State in the early game on Friday. That'd be five o'clock start time, ESPN two, and then Oklahoma plays Morgan State on Friday evening for the nightcap, seven thirty first pitch in that game. Now that I'm telling you right now. That most likely is not going to start at 7.30. I always like it on Twitter or Facebook or other social media platforms, whatever you use, where people are like, this game is supposed to start at 7.30. Why, why is it not started yet? Well, however long it takes A&M to get beat by Washington State, uh, Washington State by Wichita State, then you got to give them 30 minutes. So when that which Washington – why can't I not say Wichita State? When that Wichita State-Texas A&M game ends – 30 minutes after that, you're going to get Oklahoma and Morgan State. I love how you're already giving us a, a snippet or a preview of how you believe that this regional is going to play out. And I'm going to go ahead and jump on the bandwagon here because I've got a very similar ideology, a very similar thought process as to which are the two best teams in this regional and which teams could actually give Oklahoma a, a little bit of a run for their money. Well, Wichita State is the number two seed. A&M's the three seed. Morgan State is the four right, seed. Right, right, right. But here's the thing is everybody wants to put a lot of prowess upon the SEC. Because uh, absolutely. Of the, That's why I'm excited. A&M's and Norman. Because of the got, quote-unquote gauntlet that right, they run right. throughout the regular season. And I, I'm looking at a, an SEC team, a Texas A&M team, that may have talent on the roster, but simply can't get over the hurdles of these these bigger teams. Granted, they beat LSU, they beat Mississippi State, but that was before Mississippi State went on this tear through the SEC. Needless to say, it's still a 21-loss team. And that's something that I think is right. easily overlooked because of the conference, because of the three letters that are tied to a team like Texas A&M at the moment. Yeah, Texas A&M 31 and 21 on the season. Do you know what their record was in SEC play? It was losing. I want to yeah. say that that it was 8 and 16 eight or something 16 along those lines. Spot on, 8 and 16 in the SEC play. Uh, Wichita State 39 and 11 and 1. They actually had a tie. Did you know that you can tie in softball? No. 39 11 no, and, <laughs> 39 11 and 1 for the Shockers, 18 5 and 1 in conference play. Of course, Oklahoma 45 and 2, 16 and 1 in the Big 12, and Morgan State 24 and 15, 14 and 5 in, in their conference play. So here's the way this is going to shake out. The the winners from Friday's games will play um, at on the very first game on Saturday at 3 o'clock. And then the two losers face the first elimination game Saturday at 5.30-ish. And then the loser um, – so here here's what happens is – so. So that, I'm I'm gonna, I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you how this plays out in my head because I think I can explain this bracket easier 
by saying how it's going to play out in my head. I think Wichita State's going to beat Texas A&M in this first game. I think Oklahoma is going to beat Morgan State in the first game. Then on Saturday, Oklahoma is going to play Wichita State. We already have a precedent for this. We, we know the Sooners have already played the Shockers, and they've already beat them this season. So we're going to say Oklahoma wins Saturday at 3 o'clock. So that puts Wichita State with one loss. Texas A&M is going to play Morgan State, and I think this is going to be a highly entertaining game. I'm going to give Texas A&M credit and say they beat Morgan, uh, Morgan State and eliminate them. So then, based on this scenario, Wichita State will come back and play Texas A&M in the second elimination game on Saturday. And then that winner is going to have to beat Oklahoma twice on Sunday. That's how this format lays out for the weekend. And what we know up to this point, regardless of who meets in the conference or conference in the regional championship, Oklahoma, assuming they get there with no losses, is a very difficult team to beat, not only once, but to beat twice more specifically. Mm-hmm. It's not something that has happened this season. In fact, as many of you know, Oklahoma only has two losses on the season, one of those coming to Georgia and one of those coming to Oklahoma State in conference play. Outside of that, the Sooners refuse to drop consecutive games to the same right. opponent. And anytime their back was against the wall, we can take the Bedlam series, for instance. Anytime their back was against the wall, it seemed as though Oklahoma produced some of their best moments. And it was the freshman, surprise, surprise, that was carrying the totem pole there for those Sooners in those moments. Needless to say, Matt, I'm looking at a Texas A&M team that has a lot to prove. I think they come out hungry. I think that they can they can be competitive in this regional. I just don't see them getting more than one win, and it's the exact same bracketology mm-hmm. that you're talking about. A win over Morgan State, but Texas A&M will be eliminated. Now, where Wichita State falls for me is a little bit of a more interesting statement, simply because... They're coming into this, and they're very familiar with this realm, and they're very familiar with playing in Norman. It's nothing new for this team. I I get that we had the year break from the postseason, but Wichita State oftentimes finds themselves in the Norman Regional, and Tulsa's another one of those perennials who finds themselves when they make the postseason in this Norman Regional. Needless to say, what I'm looking at is, Wichita State has wins over Oklahoma State, not just once, Matt, but twice. Right. That's a huge, huge eye-opener for, I would assume, Patty Gasso and the Oklahoma Sooners, knowing that Oklahoma State is one of the only teams that beat Oklahoma. You've got to look at, at three individuals, if you're asking me, but the name that we're going to go with is Bailey Lang. I'm assuming that's how the, the last name is pronounced and my apologies if it's Lange. Um, but Bailey Lang, 21 and six this season, 2.55 ERA, 120, 28 strikeouts with 19 complete games. You can bet that they're going to lean on her pretty heavily, but the most impressive stat line I think that we can throw out there is she's holding opponents to a 0.212 batting average. Mm-hmm. Oklahoma sitting well above that. No, we've talked about no holes top to bottom in this lineup that you have to account for every single player. And the person who's benefiting the most from it is certainly. Certainly Jocelyn Allo this year. Needless to say, when you go up against a pitcher like that, you have to make your moments count. Yeah, in Oklahoma, you know, 
Again, Wichita State is is the team that the Sooners have faced already this season. The Sooners scoring a a run rule victory over the Shockers. Um, and but I, I agree with you. I, I think it comes down to um, for the other teams in this in this regional, it's going to come down to pitching. For Oklahoma, it's going to come down to can you can you hit the way you have done all season long? Because there's nobody in this bracket. These four, these three teams, no one's going to out hit Oklahoma. So what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to pitch them, and you're going to have to you're going to have to pitch them tight. You're going to have to make them chase, and and Patty Gasso has done such an excellent job at making her hitters wait for the perfect pitch. That's why they crush it. They 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 know what the perfect pitch looks like and and they just crush it and I I expect Morgan State I expect that to be a run rule for Oklahoma I don't I don't know that I would say from that point forward there's going to be another run rule in this we know it's possible because they've already run ruled Wichita State but I I just I'm I don't I mean I look at this and there's not a team in this in this field that really makes me worry. And and you have, you had a great point. Someone's going to have to beat. Oh, if Oklahoma wins Friday night, if they win that first game on Saturday, that means someone's going to have to beat Oklahoma twice. And that's a, an excellent point because that's not been done all season long. Right. And, and as, and it, it, this is what Patty gas. So this is the reason why she took him to Athens, Georgia to play the Bulldogs. This is the reason why Bedlam was such a big deal in Stillwater this reason right here. So they would be prepared for this moment. By the way, uh, 14 to three was the final in that Wichita state game on May 4th. So it's not even been a month ago that they played the shockers uh, in Wichita, but this is the reason why they did that. So they would be prepared for this moment. And you, I I just, I feel like you got to say it, rich. If Oklahoma doesn't come out of this regional unscathed, then it's a little bit of a, a, of a surprise. Is it not? It's not just a surprise. It's probably the biggest upset in collegiate softball history. Oklahoma has looked absolutely dominant from start to finish. Of course, you have the two hiccups. We know that going undefeated in such a long season is one of the more rare things to witness, regardless of sport. Needless to say, Matt, I'm looking at Oklahoma. They are the number one overall team. Mm -hmm. And if any of these teams were to come out ahead of them, again, I I would consider that to be the biggest upset that we've witnessed. I, I know the sport has grown drastically over the past decade, but I, I would still have to say it's the biggest upset. And that's with a limited knowledge going back to approximately mm-hmm. that 10 years. Yeah. So it's going to be fun. Uh, well, obviously we'll have a preview up tonight or first thing in the morning, uh, for on at heartland sports.com. And we'll have updates going throughout. You can follow us on Twitter at sports heartland. We'll give you all the updates that we've got. And now the winner of this, Regional is going to play the winner of the Seattle Regional, which most likely, I mean, when you look at this, you, you got to think it's going to be Washington, but the other teams that are there, you've got Michigan as the number two seed, Seattle's the number three seed, and Portland State is the number four seed. Oklahoma handles business. They're going to host Washington in Norman for the Super Regional next weekend. And that'll be exceptionally be interesting. Fun. Why? Because Washington was the one who put the Oklahoma Sooners out of the right. last Women's College World Series. You remember the drop ball in right field? Yes, yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah. Matt, so, I was going to ask you just a quick question on this because we had briefly discussed it before the actual seedings were complete, before they were set in stone, before they were official. 
I said if Oklahoma wins the Big 12 tournament, do they claim the number one overall seed in the NCAA tournament? We know that that's happened, but how much much of that was attributed to the loss by UCLA to Arizona? No, I said that. I'm going to pat myself on the back here. Uh, Two things I said last week. from last week's podcast, and I'm going to give myself a little bit of pat on the back here, are number one, Nicole May, and how how she would be a difference for Oklahoma in that Big 12 tournament. And number two, if Oklahoma ran through the Big 12 tournament, they would be the number one seed because I think we had already seen UCLA falter the week before in that final series of the season, and and I think it was just a guarantee whenever you saw them drop that game in the Pac-12 tournament that you just know that it's going to be it's going to be Oklahoma and I was I tell you what I was surprised about I was surprised about the lack of love that the Pac-12 got and when you when you look at the overall seedings and the way this tournament is laid out there was not a lot of respect shown for the Pac-12 conference and Richard anybody who covers softball knows this conference is really really good and and so when you're looking at it from from a the perspective of somebody who covers softball, I I mean I echo what Patty Gasso said. Even Patty Gasso was kind of like, wait, what's happening here? And so um, no, I, I wasn't surprised. In fact, I called it last week that if Oklahoma went through the tournament, the Big Twelve tournament undefeated, that they would be the number one overall seed. There was a lot of people who disagreed with me on social media, and that's okay. But none of those people have come back to say, you know what, Matt, you were right. None of them. Not a single one. Hey, I need to correct myself here because I said in the last college Women's College World Series, Oklahoma was outed, ousted by Washington. That was 2018. 2019, I know they played for the national UCLA. championship against yeah, UCLA. Yeah. Home runs after home runs. Yeah, that was brutal. Home runs. Right. Yeah, I, I knew what you were talking about. Okay. Um, so, yeah, that's it for the Norman Regional. Again, it, started, it gets underway 5 o'clock Central Time on Friday with A&M and Wichita State. And then Oklahoma and Morgan State will follow 30 minutes after that game. We're, we're going to make the big transition. True or false is coming up. I'm asking the questions uh, when we'll that will be our official transition from softball into football. And uh, stay tuned and, and hang with us. True or false time. And Richard's the one in the hot seat this week. And uh, once again, I reached out to you guys uh, on Twitter, at Sports Heartland on Twitter, to help me out, uh, come up with... Uh, it's really hard in the offseason, Rich, to come up with five questions. And I don't know why five was our number. We set it at that. Sometimes we get to five. Sometimes one of us only gets like two or three and doesn't come up with five. Shut but it. I'm, I'm, hey, I'm not, I'm hey, not we, mentioning we any names. all of mine. I'm not mentioning any names. I'm not you. throwing anybody under the bus. I blame you. I'm saying that I reach out to Twitter and I get help. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, I made a grave mistake by not reaching out to Twitter. No, I, I reached out to social media. Apparently, it was just the wrong platform. So I uh, got you. I got, got you. I got zero, and that's okay. That's okay. all right. Well, I only did. Uh, I only did Twitter uh, this week. Sometimes I do Twitter and Facebook, but Twitter was Twitter gave me what I needed. Okay, so here we go. Uh, I I did say we're going to transition, and and we're absolutely going to do that. Um, but the first question is a softball question. And then we'll transition. So Oklahoma, we, we know how dominant that this team has been all season long. We, we've already talked about 
their record, only two losses on the season, uh, one loss in Big 12 play, one loss at, at Georgia, and that's compared to 45 wins. We know about the records that they set for home runs this season. We, we, we know how they're scoring like football-type numbers sometimes, right? Um, today, we're recording this on, on May 20th. Today, Oklahoma had eight players earn all regional honors. Those players are Shannon Sell, Jocelyn Allo, Grace Lyons, Mackenzie Donahue, Kenzie Hansen, Jada Coleman, Tyree Jennings, um, and then Nicole Mendes. Um, between the first and second team, all honor, uh, all region, eight Sooners. Why are you looking at me like that for? Uh, because it seems like a name would have been missing. That's okay. Who did I miss? You're not missing a name. The, the names that you've given, it's a little bit of a shock value. For me, because you mentioned Shannon Sale, but you didn't mention G. Juarez. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Okay, well, anyway. So, I told you, again, I'll pat myself on the back. I said Shannon Sale's been better, but whatever. Here's my point. Conversate, and this is, by the way, this first question, it's about softball, and it is a softball question, okay? You know, figuratively. Right, you're lobbing one up. Yes, here we go. I get you. It's already starting on various platforms, greatest team ever in the history of Oklahoma softball. Now, why I say and will acknowledge the potential is there. True or false? The Sooners actually have to win a national championship before you can start this conversation of best ever. With this this year's team, that is true. And the reason why, Matt, is I think there have been some, some excellent, excellent individual performances and players over the duration of their career who have come through Oklahoma. In fact, I would go out there on a limb and say that we could look back at the Kalani Ricketts years and say mm-hmm. those were some pretty good teams that didn't have the firepower of this team, yet still, in my opinion, should have won that national championship against Alabama, except the rain delay happened right. and completely changed the outcome, the demeanor in the the dugouts, et cetera, for those two teams. And then we saw Alabama come out and take it. And that was, uh, I remember her first name, Trina. I can't remember her uh, last yeah, name. Yeah, the, the, the Alabama girl. For Alabama. Yeah, yeah. And those were two of the most dominant pitchers that I've ever witnessed in person myself. But we could even move forward just a little bit further than that. And we could talk about the the pages as being two of the most dominant mm-hmm. pitchers that have ever sat on a team together. And I remember Paige Parker coming on as a freshman and wowing everybody. Then Paige Lowry coming via transfer and really being that closer, the the one who came in with the the speed to close out these games and was just blowing people off right. of the plate. Needless to say, those Paige Parker years were pretty dominant teams and the this one can rival that. I absolutely agree this one can rival it. But when you're looking at back-to-back national champions, it's hard to argue that that wasn't the the best team in Oklahoma Sooner history. If this team wins a national championship, if they win one, we're, we're no. I'm just saying, if they do, where mm-hmm. do you place them? Do you place them at the top? Because I, I, I do, I do. I'm just telling you right now, if they win the national championship, not only do I start the conversation, mm-hmm. I say this, at least in the time I've been covering OU softball, which has been for a while now, and we've seen the national champions. Best team. I think the only the only national champion team that Patty Gasso has had that I didn't cover was the 2000 team. You mean that's made it to the national championship? That's one, one. Right, right. I think the only one I missed out on was the 2000 team. That said, I, I put them as number one 
um, assuming that they win. Assuming and that they win, it, right? It's that's a difficult ask for me. I feel as though I could put them as a one A, and there would be a one B. Can we do that? You can. I, I'm not going to, but you you can. Uh, okay. So so I um I'm Matt. I'm looking at the 2017 team. So I I covered. I didn't cover the 2000. I covered the 2013. I covered 2016. Obviously 2017. I covered those national championships. Let, this team, in my opinion, if they win the World Series, let me best let me those, give you some names from 2017. Okay? I, I I was there. You don't have to give Shea me names. Knighton, Can you imagine? But they they Shelby take that, Penley. Take that 2017 team and and give <laughs> Sydney them, Romero. Take that that pitching staff and give them this offense. Can you imagine? It wasn't like the 2017 no, I'm not team was that, a slouch. No, though. I'm not saying they were, but they weren't offensively. One through nine, they were not what this team is. This this team, best offense. Hands down, no questions asked. 2017, best defense. I don't know about that. Better pitching. I might give you better pitching, but I, I, have you seen Jada Coleman? I have. Have you seen Grace Lyons? I have. Have you? I mean, I mean, you could you could go around the bases and through the outfield. Janet Johns at third base. Are you kidding me? I mean, I, with all due respect to Sidney Romero, who, by the way, was my son's favorite player ever. Janet Johns is just incredible. All right. I said it would transition, so we're going to transition. Um, so here we go. Uh, officially into football. Early betting, The early betting line is out for Oklahoma and Nebraska. The Sooners are an 18-point favorite. True or false, that's going to be a cover for the Sooners. That is going to be a cover for Oklahoma. When we look at what Oklahoma has been building here, Matt, they've been building momentum on both sides of the ball, and it's hard to to believe or hard to imagine that that's something that Oklahoma was capable with, more specifically Lincoln Riley was capable of with this offense because the offense has been so good. It's carried this team into the college football playoff on numerous occasions. The defense has always been that liability, and I know everybody wants to immediately point to the Georgia game and say that the defense was what cost Oklahoma a shot at the national championship that year. Needless to say, all of a sudden, Alex Grinch is finally getting individuals and units to buy in to the schematics that he's preaching day in and day out. And now on the back end, he's getting recruits who are rangy, who are lengthy. But more importantly, Matt, they're coming up with turnovers. And that was the huge pivotal moment for this Oklahoma Sooners defense. And all of a sudden, we're seeing this defense begin to hum because people Mm -hmm. aren't wanting to throw deep for fear of turning the ball over. But they also have to account for the play at the defensive ends and some of the different looks that Oklahoma gives defensively, especially with a rush linebacker like they're going to possess in the upcoming season in Nick Benito. When I look at this team defensively, there's a lot of potential. I want, and I've consistently said consistency is what's needed. And I finally believe that we are hitting that milestone where each and every weekend, Oklahoma is taking another step forward and they're they're allowing that confidence to grow within themselves so that it manifests itself on the field in productivity. Knowing that's the case, knowing that we're one year further into Alex Grinch's tenure at the University of Oklahoma as the defensive coordinator, I expect big things once again. And it starts with the defensive front. So 18 points, I think that's an easy cover for Oklahoma. Okay, I'll take your money now for the bet. I'm just kidding. Um, So here we go. Number three, sticking with football, ESPN. 
has announced that it's on its family of networks. They're going to they're going to carry the Oklahoma Texas game, and they're going to carry the Bedlam football game. What this means is that OU Nebraska and OU Iowa State are most likely going to be national broadcast on Fox, which means 11 a.m. kickoff for for those big ba- for those big games. True or false? The hate for 11 a.m. kickoffs is way overrated. <laughs> I get the argument, but for me, I have to go with a false. And that's that's a personal feeling. I think a lot of it stems from the activities that surround football games and the activities that people typically associate with tailgating. They're better suited for the evening. Let's not act like they're not. Right. So when you have that 11 a.m. kickoff, one, if you're driving to Norman and it's a home game, it sucks. Hey, listen, I, I live in South Oklahoma City. I, I leave my house like at 8.30 for an 11 a.m. Right. kickoff. I can't imagine coming north of Edmond or northeast of Tulsa. And Matt, I know that you have made the drive. I've made the drive down to Dallas right. for the whatever people are calling it these days. I still call it the Red River Rivalry. So I've made that drive and left here at 6 in the morning to attempt to make it into the gate by 11. Well, kickoff's at 11. you gotta, you got to right. be in your seat, right. man. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I made it. Parking, needless to say. There's some tricks. A, we got If you don't know how to park, well, there's some tricks. It's so we a gotta false go over for with me. You. Okay. It's a false for okay. me, but I, I understand the argument. Someone who would have wanted to take the opposite side and say that it is true. But for me, it's a false. Yeah, see, I'm going to be on the other side of this. I, I say it's way overrated. Now, do I like That's what I'm saying. Yeah. It is way overrated. No, so you're... Sorry, so I, you're I argue that backwards. Right. My, my yeah. apologies. Yeah. Because I'm arguing true because I'm saying that... <laughs> going back to what I originally stated there was there are activities that are associated with kickoff and so tailgates what you're saying is you like that to go are better t- suited for the evening. You like to go tailgate and get drunk before the game is what you're saying. I don't, but I know that people do. <laughs> so then you're then you're a fall. You you it's you true say for me. That, it is overrated. Okay. Or false. If you're asking me are it's you not a politician overrated here, what are you doing? Matt, I don't even know what your original question so was here's, anymore. Here's my take on it. I've I as a fan, if it's a road game, I get all day to watch football. You know, it's the first game I watch is the Sooners, and then I get it until midnight, you know, all the way out to the West Coast. That's just bad football. If it's, if it's a, a home game, I still get home for those evening kickoffs, and there's usually pretty big games in the evening. As a guy who covers the team, I can, I can for an 11 a.m. kickoff, I can get most of our coverage done by 7 or 8 o'clock at night. You get those night games – and I'm doing our post-game coverage till sometimes 1, 2 in the morning. So I'm okay with 11 a.m. kickoffs. Mm-hmm. I think it's overrated. Ask, ask, state your question one more time. The, the hate for 11 a.m. kickoffs is overrated. <laughs> okay. So I just needed to hear you say it one more time. Okay. So I, I, don't, I still don't know what your answer is, but we're going to move true. on. True. It's um, true. <laughs> Okay, so we're going to go to Twitter. Shoot, um, man, that's good. We're going to go to Twitter. This is uh, from Ryan Murphy. Uh, this is another softball. You know, I'm going to give you this as, as the last one. No no disrespect to Ryan. I uh, appreciate you in, in, in participating, but I'm going to say that one for last because it is. No, I'm going to give it to you now, and we'll end with a with a, a more difficult one. Um, actually, there, what, never mind. Here we go. Uh, true or false? Spencer Rattler will throw 12 or more interceptions in 2021. 
Man. I thought it was a softball, but maybe not. Look, let let me make this statement before giving you my answer. If Spencer Rattler comes in like he did for the first five games of the season, that's absolutely a true statement. However, if Spencer Rattler comes in and it's second half of the Texas game and beyond, that one's absolutely false. And I'm going to have to go back to my statement about the progression. It's going to be false for me. I don't think Spencer okay. Rattler throws. That's, that's what I'm looking for. I don't I'm think like, Spencer Rattler throws more than 12 interceptions. I think he learned a very valuable lesson last year when he was benched during that Texas contest. When we look at the natural progression, the decision making, the poise, and the ability to roll out and still make an accurate mm-hmm. throw, all of the tools are in place for me to say that Spencer Rattler doesn't doesn't make too 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 many mistakes. My question comes in at the receiver position. Oklahoma, I know what Marvin Mims is capable of, but behind him and Theo Weiss, there's not a lot of proven individuals out there. Austin Stogner, we could throw him out there as well as a guy that that's we've seen, we know what we're going to get out of him. So what happens when the ball comes Forgetting in? Forget about little- Mike Woods. We don't know what we're getting out of him uh, and Spencer Rattler, oh, okay. the combo, uh, okay. the combo. All right. Chemistry is what you're talking about. Exactly. All I'm saying is when the ball is thrown and the receiver and the quarterback aren't on the same page, what happens? Or if the ball comes in a little bit hot and the receiver begins to look upfield before actually securing the catch, what happens? I don't attribute those to the quarterback, but the stat sheet certainly does. Mm-hmm. So again, I'm going with false in the moment. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let me let me throw a couple things out at you last uh, last year. Um, this team only played eleven games. They're going to add at least two to the schedule, two more than that in in twenty twenty one. Rattler was tenth in the nation, three thousand thirty one passing yards, eighth in the nation with twenty eight uh, touchdowns, only seven interceptions. So you add at least two more games, which means you got eight more quarters of football at the minimum to potentially make mistakes. Mm -hmm. That said, I think Spencer Rattler is going to have to greatly regress to get to 12 or more interceptions. I'm talking like great, take a massive step backwards to get to 12 or more interceptions. So to me, this, this is a hundred percent is absolutely false. No way. I'm just saying 3000 yards passing, 30, uh, 20, almost 30 touchdowns, 28 touchdowns to seven interceptions. And all we saw him saw him do was get better post-Texas. That third, fourth quarter overtime in Texas and the rest of the season, he was a different quarterback. And it helps when you've got the quarterback whisperer on your side. Well, line. let me tell you something else that's going to help <laughs> is that he actually got spring ball. He didn't get that last year. So he got spring ball, and he's going to have summer workouts. And you're talking about chemistry with new guys like Mike mm-hmm. Woods. That that a lot of that will be worked out during the summer. I just I don't see it, man. Now it could be there. It, it could be there. But to me, it's a great regression. Even if you consider they're going to add at least two more games, it's a great regression if he goes twelve or more interceptions. You're saying three? 
Aren't we on number three? No, no, that, that was number four, man. This is number five. This oh, is the dang, last one. It's I'm going behind. by. It's going by fast for you, huh? Here we go. Um, I thought you were saying three interceptions. Like he's going to throw three interceptions. No. Like, dude, I'll I'll take the over on that one. But here we go. Uh, over three under twelve. Um, last one. Uh, Gonzo Strangelove uh, always uh, gives us something good to think about. I'm not going to read the entire question. Because that could maybe get a little bit confusing. I don't want to. I don't want to uh, re- represent something that's not there. But I'm just going to put it put it to you this way: when you when you look at what Oklahoma has going into the 2021 college football season, this is a team that is stacked. Uh, they're in the top five nationally in almost every major poll. Or will be you know, top five nationally in almost every major poll. You've got a Heisman front runner at quarterback and potentially the number one overall NFL draft pick. You've talked about the defense. We got one of the best defensive lines uh, in the nation coming out of out of Norman. All that said, anything less than a national championship in 2021 will be perceived as a bust. True or false? False. I get that Oklahoma is looking for that elusive number eight, but we also have to remember Oklahoma hasn't played for a national championship either in the current format. They've been close, but they've never been able to get over the hurdle. And what I would like to see Oklahoma do first is set their eyes on getting not just into the college football playoff, but getting into that national championship game. I know where this statement is coming from. I know what the argument is and what everybody's looking at right now is the returning starter starting quarterbacks mm-hmm. of that top four. Alabama gone, Clemson gone, Ohio State gone, which leaves Oklahoma as the only real contender. I say real contender, and I know there will be some prizes, some surprises here later on in the season. Heck, maybe even in the first three weeks of the season once we get there. But Spencer Rattler being the only returning starting quarterback gives a lot of people a sense of hope for that. But it is a long season and anything can happen. The Big 12, for whatever reason, seems to have a giant slayer lurking in their midst, regardless of the year, regardless of the team. I remember Oklahoma State losing to Iowa State in a game that should have never been close. Oklahoma has been tripped up by Iowa State in the past themselves. Kansas if, State. If not, Kansas State and potentially a TCU comes out from the shadows and there they are, stealing a win that they never should have gotten. Baylor has challenged. I don't expect that this year. Don't get me wrong. I'm saying that it seems as though each and every year, the Big 12 has a team that plays the role of spoiler. And I can't discredit that. So let's get the Big 12 championship under the belt first. Let's get the college football playoff. Let's get into those rankings, into the, into the top four, number two, and number three. I don't think it would be a bust to play for the national championship and show that that you're competitive. Why? Because when you are in, you're in on that game on a national level and everybody's watching it, it does wonders for recruiting at the same time. No, I agree 100% with you on this one. I, I think, obviously, this is Lincoln Riley's best chance at a national title since Baker Mayfield's last season. That said, I think winning the playoff game, you, if you go to the playoffs and you lose in the first game, the semis, then bust. That No doubt, you lose in the semis, you put bust all over this 2021 season. But you make it to the national championship, and even if you don't win it, it's going to be viewed as a step forward for Lincoln Riley and for this program. So I, I'm with you. I, I think this is false, and, and I think 
everything you just said is 100% accurate. We're not finished with uh, football talk. How many five-star recruits do you think Oklahoma can land in the 2022 recruiting class? Um, Theo Howard with a new home. Is there a new pipeline out of Norman? And and has Oklahoma already found a replacement for Seth McGowan? When you look at Oklahoma's 2022 recruiting class, you have to start with wide receiver Luther Burden, who is the top-ranked receiver. According to 24-7 Sports, he is the only five-star member of this recruiting class as of right now. But Oklahoma is not just in on multiple other five-star recruits. They're leading the way according to the predictions and what several other recruits are saying. So my question is simply this, Rich. How many, realistically, how many five-star recruits do you think Oklahoma, and, and I'm just, I know there's different, there's different rankings. You know, there's the rivals rankings. There's a 24-7 rankings. I'm more partial to 24-7 sports. So let's just go with their set. How many realistic five-star recruits do you think Oklahoma can land in 2022? How many can they land versus realistically what they yeah, will? Yeah, I'm not saying I, will they. I'm just saying mm-hmm. re- what's a realistic number for what they can, for what they potentially can mm-hmm. do? I I can see three, a maximum of four. Okay. I would love to say five, but a maximum of four. I think one of the most obvious answers that people are going to begin to lean towards is a guy who had previously committed. You're and talking about Gentry Williams. Which is Gentry Williams, right. exactly. I know that he's number 36 in the country, five at his position, and one in the state. Oklahoma, more specifically the fans that surround the Oklahoma Sooners, have talked about how the 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 coaching staff needs to put a priority on the top ranked recruits in state. It's not that they haven't, right. it's that they've struck out enough times that people feel, this is just my perception, that people feel as though they haven't gotten the number one recruit. And it's easy to look at even last year and say, oh no, Oklahoma didn't get the top ranked recruit in the state, but when in reality, they did. Ethan Downs, Ethan Downs was yeah, the number absolutely. one recruit. After he committed, he dropped a, a couple of slots and wasn't that number one overall recruit anymore because the focus wasn't on him. The story isn't there anymore. And it's not as easy to promote a guy if you're not saying the top ranked recruit mm-hmm. in the state. So I think Gentry Williams could be one of those. There are um, names, I think, more specifically on the defensive line and the offensive line that Oklahoma is going to consider as well. And there's going to be a mutual, a high mutual interest between those parties. Why? Because of the success that Oklahoma is having at those specific positions. Yeah. I, first of all, I want to say, I, I feel like five is too many. I, I don't, I feel like that's a stretch. Mm-hmm. I don't think they'll get to five. I do think if you were, if you were making me say bet right now, how many will they get? I think it's two. How, as of right now, as of uh, May 20th, 2021, seven months before the signing day, the early signing period, I can say I think they'll get to two. How many can they get? I think the realistic number is four. There's, there's, They've already got one committed. You talked about Gentry Williams. I think at the end of the day, Gentry Williams is still coming to the University of Oklahoma. And that leaves, I think you alluded to these guys, two other guys on the defensive line. There's the, and I'm going to butcher this name, out of Duncanville, Texas, defensive end Omari Aber, Aber. Um, I, I think, uh, I think he's, I think Oklahoma's leading on him. I think the Sooners are a front runner right now for him. And then personally for me, 
my favorite name in all of 2021, uh, Gabriel Brownlow Dindy. Uh, this kid, uh, I he's a monster out of Lakeland, Florida, defensive tackle. And again, Oklahoma seems to be out in front on him. Doesn't necessarily mean the Sooners will finish in front, but they're they're there right now. And I, I think that's your four. I think that's that is as of right now to me, that's your realm of possibility. I'm not gonna disagree with you. I, I it's hard for me to look at these and I know a majority of the opinion is being based off of crystal ball predictions. Mm-hmm. Where do these insiders, the individuals who are reaching out to the players, to the recruits, and having daily or weekly conversations with them feel? Where that they're going to land based upon those conversations, it's hard to ignore that. I would love to throw in, like I said, an offensive tackle or an offensive guard, largely because of the success that Oklahoma has had at those positions here recently. I don't know that that's coming. I don't know that it's not coming, though, either. I just know Oklahoma is going to have to fight hard for those individuals, and they're going to have to prove some things. What those things are, I have no clues. But I... I'm going to throw out some names that have a warm tag next to their profile. Sounds good. Josh Connerly Jr. out of Seattle, Washington. Interest, obviously, a mutual interest there. A guy who's predicted to go to Washington, but it's a very, very low number on that prediction. There is also Cam Dewberry out of Humboldt, Texas. Yes, I know you leave out the H there, so anyone who's from Texas... You're welcome. I learned how to pronounce that one <laughs> some time ago. He's pronounced, or excuse me, he's predicted to go to Texas A&M. Jacob Sexton out of Deer Creek, not a five-star, a four-star, but could potentially be up. No, there's no way he could be upgraded. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have brought that one <laughs> there. He's coming to Oklahoma for sure. I was just going down the list of offensive tackles, offensive guards that are out there. And the last name I'm going to throw out, Matt, is, is Devin Campbell. Mm-hmm. Um Devin Campbell prediction going to the University of Texas. I know that those aren't always solid, especially given a little bit of the turmoil that has happened here at the University at at Texas in the past year. What Sarkeesian brings to the table, I think, is very appealing to a recruit. What they're selling is very appealing But when the season takes place, will that still be the case? And so I look at a guy like a Devin Campbell and say that he could easily, while he's not committed, his his commitment could easily go from favoring Texas to favoring a team north of the Red River and more specifically Oklahoma. But that's yet to be seen. If I had to put any kind of wager down on any of those names that I've mentioned, it, it would be Devin Campbell coming as that fourth member. Okay, so let, let's move away from 2022 recruiting. Let's talk about players that could arrive or leave campus as early as this summer. There seems to be a new pipeline out of Norman, Oklahoma, as Theo Howard has decided that he's going to join uh, Pledger, TJ Pledger, at Utah, and he has committed to play for the Utes. But here's the big story right now as far as the transfer portal is concerned, and that's of Darwin Barlow. Here's it, let me let me paint the backstory here for Oklahoma fans to remember. Um, we all know that Chandler Morris transferred from Oklahoma to TCU. Lincoln Riley blocked the immediate eligibility, and TCU got all up in 
in an uproar about it. Everyone got bent. Everyone wanted to hate on Lincoln Riley, whether it's local media or national media. So much so that they petitioned the Big 12, and the Big 12 was already considering things. TCU just jumped in there and had their fit. Big 12 changed the rules on interconference transfers, which means basically anyone in the Big 12 is now a free agent. And Darwin Barlow seems to be the first player to cross over since this announcement to say, you know what? I think I'm going to leave a middle-of-the-pack Big 12 team to go play for the front runners in the Big 12. And Darwin Barlow has officially entered his name into the transfer portal. And according to sources and a lot of internet rumors, two separate entities, sources, internet rumors, Darwin Barlow's heading to Norman, Oklahoma with immediate eligibility. And basically what this does is you feel Seth McGowan's roster spot. Rich, you and I talked last week. One of your questions about um, ensure false was about the, the lack of depth in this running back room. Darwin Barlow, a former four-star recruit, Oklahoma was in on him. He ends up going to TCU, but could be coming back around now. Um, I, I, it's one of those things if you're if you're looking at uh, by the way TCU fans are hacked about this they are not happy at all about this but it's one of those be careful what you wish for type moments when you wanted this for Chandler Morris but you got to understand you open Pandora's box for anybody else who wants to exit your roster it's funny how that works isn't it my question assuming that these rumors and sources are accurate in their statement is what does it mean for a guy like Mikey Henderson, a guy who came in more of an H back recruit, a guy who easily filled that role for Oklahoma, albeit inexperienced and young in that role. When you bring in another running back, you add a little bit more depth. We know that Kennedy Brooks, we know that Eric Gray are going to be the premier run ball carriers on this team. No questions asked about that. Mikey Henderson, I did feel like was added for the depth mm -hmm. purpose, which was a, a very clear indicator that something was going to happen within that roster and a little bit of a shakeup. We now know what that is, and there is a vacancy there that can be filled. So if Dar Darwin Barlow does come to University of Oklahoma and finds himself with a number and a slot on this roster, what happens to Mikey Henderson? I don't think anything happens to Mikey Henderson. I think Darwin Barlow would be added to this running back room for depth and for mm -hmm. next year. So we, we know this is setting up to be Kennedy Brooks last season. Possibly. I know. I, I think it's setting up to no, be. No, no, I was going to say possibly Eric Gray Oh, okay. Well. Yeah, I agree. I agree. There's a good chance that Eric Gray's out of here as well. I, I, I agree wholeheartedly with that. So you could lose two. So, so that leaves you with Marcus Major. And then who? You know what I'm saying? So then you then you add the depth of Mikey Henderson. That's where Barlow comes in and adds mm -hmm. depth there as well. So that your freshmen that you're recruiting for 2022, they don't have to come in and be immediate contributors like Seth McGowan was was forced to be in 2020. So I think I don't think this changes anything with the plan for Mikey Henderson. I think what this does is it adds depth immediately, quality depth immediately, but also what it does is it helps you more. Uh, something like this would help you more for 2022 than it would help you in 2021. 
And I think that's what they're gunning at. They're replacing those. They're they're replacing the Samar Wheatons of the world. Those running backs that they've right. lost, they're replacing them with experienced depth. And it's funny because we did mention that there was more room for transfers mm-hmm. for Oklahoma to take experienced players who could contribute immediately. This does fit within that fold. Right. Again, I felt as though it would indicate more of a roster shift for a guy like Mikey Henderson, but your argument's winning me over here, Matt, and I am looking at the future, and I am asking that question. Of course, Oklahoma does have some committed or a committed running back who would come in and would, as an all-purpose back, would contribute in some way, shape, or form. We don't know how much that would be, but we do expect Marcus Major to take over the helm of that running back room, assuming Kennedy Brooks and Eric Gray are gone. So it would be the question of... of how do you round out that roster? How do you find a complimentary player in that room to what Marcus Major already brings to the table? No, I agree. And, and again, th- it's all speculation at this point. What the, the facts are, the facts to this story are that he's leaving TCU. That, I mean, you don't have to take my word for it. You can take yeah, his. I mean, I mean, yeah, you can take exactly. his word. I By mean, entering the transfer portal, right. it says a lot about what your intentions are. That's the fact. He's leaving TCU. The other fact is there will be a lot of Power Five schools that pursue him. Now the speculation is he's already made a decision to go to Norman, and Oklahoma is going to welcome him with open arms. Now, now you're going to. You're going to hear all of the whining and crying and fussing that, well, Oklahoma's cheating. You know, they're, they're recruiting from our roster. And I, I'm sorry. You know what? You opened up Pandora's box. You wanted Chandler Morris to have immediate eligibility, and you cried and you fussed and you cried and you fussed. You got what you wanted with Chandler Morris. Here's the fallout from it. The fallout is not anybody in the Big 12 who wants to leave a middle-tier team and contend for a championship can ha- can do that without punishment. That's that's what TCU asked for, and that's what they're getting. So speculation is Norman. Facts are he's leaving Fort mm-hmm. Worth, and facts are a lot of Power Five teams want him. So let's um let let's move on again. Keeping keeping with football, twenty four seven sports released their post spring top twenty five. Now I. This is 24-7 sports. This is post-spring. This is top 25. This won't be the the AP. It won't be the coaches poll. But Oklahoma comes in at number two there. And then Iowa State at number six. So you got two top 10 teams out of the Big 12. Texas at number 19. Oklahoma State at number 25. Here's my first question for you, uh, Rich, on this. On the four ranked Big 12 teams, do you have a problem with any of them? I <laughs> I stumped you. No, I'm trying to think back through your numbers here. Okay, I'll, um, I'll repeat them to you. Oklahoma number two, uh-huh. Iowa State number six, Texas number nineteen, Are Oklahoma you sure State Iowa number twenty-five. Number six. Well, let me just click the link and I'll tell you. Are you sure they don't have them listed at number eight? Iowa State. I'm looking at it right now. Iowa State number six. Okay. I'm going to go with your number then. Um, No, I think those are fairly accurate. It does set up a couple of these teams for some pretty lofty expectations, but I'm looking at Iowa State, Matt, and and one of the things that you and I have talked about was how they would be the legitimate challenger to the throne here in the Big 12 with Brees Hall at that running back position. I hope I'm not looking at like last year's because mine still has number eight 
here. But looking at Iowa State with a guy like like Brees Hall, Charlie Kolar, Brock Purdy, all of these individuals mm-hmm. on the offensive side can certainly challenge the Oklahoma Sooners. It's what can they do defensively here in conference right. and what can they do on the national scene once we get into the postseason. Needless to say, I, I think the accurates are good. I like where they're at, and, and I like that it sets the Big 12 up to potentially once again have at least half, if not more, of the conference in the top 25 at some point in the season. Now, let me. I agree with... I agree with Iowa State being top ten. I, I want I want to throw that out there. But here's the caveat with Iowa State. And if you're if you're a Cyclones fan, here's where I would find concern. Going into the 2020 season, when you're talking about Iowa State, the defense led the conversation. Now, when you're talking about Iowa State, you're talking about offense. And you're talking about Brock Purdy, you know, uh, 2,700 yards last season, 19 passing touchdowns. You're talking about Brees Hall, who you already mentioned. It's not Brock Purdy who's the Heisman contender off of this program. It's Brees Hall, tw- almost 2,500 yards, 30 touchdowns in his first two seasons in Ames, Iowa. But no one's talking about the Iowa State defense anymore. And to me, that's a big red flag. That, that you're, you're, you're saying as an analyst of someone who covers this team – on the national spectrum here, yeah, this team's decent. They 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 were going to start them here in the top ten based on what they did last year. But the reality is, we know they're good offensively. We don't know what they have defensively, mm-hmm. and that's the national. The people out of Ames, folks over at Wide White Wide Right and Natty Light, they're going to be like, no, no, no. Let me tell you about the defense. That's fine. That's fine. I'm not saying they don't have a defense. I'm saying the defense is no longer the story in Oklahoma. And, and you think about the Sooners. In Iowa State. Sorry, in Iowa State. Because I'm, I'm going to transfer over to the Sooners. Thanks for correcting me. You, you go to Oklahoma, and what they've always talked about offense, right? Now what are they doing? They're talking about the defense complementing the offense. How do you know if a team has made progression from one season to the next? They're talking about both sides of the football, like they are in Norman, Oklahoma. Not doing that in Ames, Iowa. I still think the Big 12 comes down between the Cyclones and the Sooners. I just don't know at this point, four months out from the season, I, I don't know if it's going to if that gap is going to be as narrow as it was in 2020. That's the point I'm making with the Cyclones. I got no beef. I even got no beef with Texas being in the top 25. I got no beef with Oklahoma State being in the top 25. Do you, do you have any issue with where they're at? Side by side there, I get it that it's towards the bottom, but being side by side there, you could make an argument that one should be favored over the other. And if I'm making that argument, I think that they got it right in this moment with Oklahoma State being above Texas by one. Matt, I, you're shaking your head now, but hey, here's what I, I I don't I don't see your notes, but I think you're looking at someone's ballot and not the collective. No. Okay, well then tell me that number again, because like I said, so, uh, t- mine, mine were different than yeah, yours. Yeah, collectively across the board, mm-hmm. uh, on, on all of them, the consensus was Texas at number 19, Oklahoma State at number 25. I think you've okay. got an individual yeah, ballot. Yeah, mine is Texas at. at 22 and Oklahoma State at 21. Yeah, I mean, look, again, I've got no beef. Here's what I'm I'm going to say to you, though, and I'm going to throw this question to you. I don't think by the end of the season, Oklahoma State's in the top 25, be it the 24-7 Sports Top 25, the AP Top 25, or the Coaches Poll Top 25. I don't think Oklahoma State's a top 25 program in 2021. Who? <laughs> well, I'm just throwing it out there. I, I want to know if you agree or disagree. In, in this, these four teams, Oklahoma, Iowa State, Texas, and Oklahoma State, who would you pick? Of those four, 
at the end of the season not to be ranked in the top 25. It's got to be Oklahoma State or Texas, right? It, it does have to be those things. Um, I, as much as I want it to be the burnt orange, I think we are going to have to go with the Cowboys. And Halloween it's, orange. It's because Casey Thompson, I think, will be better than advertised. He's a guy who has a lot of experience at this level, but it's practice experience. And what he showed, what he what he was capable of, and what he proved that he could do in the moments and the opportunities that he was afforded, he certainly looked the part of a quarterback who could throw the football. And in my opinion, that's what Texas has been missing for so long. Mm-hmm. I expect their defense to be a quality defense. I expect them to have a quality running, rushing attack because of Robinson in the backfield there. It's been the quarterback play that has that has just severely limited them. And I think they're beginning to take that lid off a little bit because Sam Ellinger has moved on. So I do think that they'll remain in the top 25 at the end of the season. It's, it's the Cowboys who are so mistake prone and have been mm-hmm. mistake prone. It's been their one Achilles heel. It's a very opportunistic team. Let's put it that way. And they rely on turnovers, but they're also committing a lot of turnovers. Right. If they could shore up the offensive side of things and coughing the ball up, I may have a different opinion about them, but that, that hasn't been the case so far. Well, as the summer moves on, we'll we'll get more into breaking down the the conference opponents for Oklahoma. But when you when you do a quick a quick synopsis of Texas and Oklahoma State, I think you see a team in the Longhorns that actually takes a step forward in the rushing game and maybe a step forward in the passing game because I do think Casey Thompson is a better passer, can be a better passer than what Sam Ellinger was. But you also think about what what does Texas have in the receiving core? And and then I think Texas takes a step backwards defensively from last year. So I think there's a trade-off. For Oklahoma State, you really can't get any worse than what you were last year on the offensive line. So you got to think the Cowboys are going to step forward. But they, they lost Chuba Hubbard, who was basically just there in body uh, last year. Uh, he wasn't there in mind and spirit uh, and enthusiasm to that team. But you also lose Tylen Wallace. Spencer Sanders has yet to prove he can play a full season and uninjured, you know. And so I think Oklahoma State, I, I don't – again – I don't see this as a team that takes a giant step forward. I think, if anything, they take a step backwards. And even if it's a small step, if you're a fringe top 25 team and you take a small step backwards from the year before, that means you're out of the top 25. So we've got four teams from the Big 12 that are ranked in this poll. That means 60% of the Big 12 unranked right now. So we're we're gonna say Oklahoma State is, is that, that's the team we're picking that's ranked right now that won't be ranked come the the first week of December. Who's a team in the Big Twelve that's not ranked right now that you think will be ranked come that last week in, or that first week in December? None, none of them. You don't think anybody else will step forward and get in the top twenty-five? Matt, I, I think it's a far cry for certain teams to. Sure, they can have aspirations and they can have hopes of being included in that top five. But what what we need to see is a lot more from these teams before I'm willing to just push that upon someone. If I had to give it to one team and you forced me to do, I'm like gonna I force feel like you you're to do it right yep, now. That's exactly it, what's it would happening. Be TCU, and it's because okay. I believe. I still believe in Max Dugan, 
even if he's not the starting quarterback there next season, I still have faith that he's a quality quarterback. It's really going to be their rushing attack that's going to carry that team. And what we know about a Gary Patterson coached defense is that they're always well prepared and they seem doesn't matter how big the moment is. They seem to be calm, cool, and collected, and they they can put up a challenge for sure against any of these opponents in the Big 12. When will they do that? <laughs> that's that's a little bit of a different question. But if I like I said, if I had to pick a horse in this race, I'm going to pick TCU. I like TCU for all the reasons that you mentioned. I I think they're going to be better offensively than what we saw in 2020. Even losing. Part of the running back, I mean, the Zach Evans kid is is the real deal. I think, I, I mean, think he wasn't a five star for no reason, right? So I think, and he's, I, I think they've got another rising youngster on that roster. I'm blanking on the name right now, but it's going to be a very similar situation in a full running back room, which is why I'm saying that they'll, yeah, they'll carry well, the load. I, I don't think it's full anymore, especially with Barlow leaving. But it's still good. It's still quality. I, I think, but the other team I'm I'm thinking about is Kansas State. Remember, Kansas State was. Really good. They came into Norman and won, and then they they lost their quarterback. And and once once Skyler is it Thompson's or How, I always get Skyler Thompson and Skyler Howard confused. But once he got once he went out, the, Kansas State's trajectory just plummeted. You you've got him you've got him back. I just I mean I, I look I I love this kid. I, I love the tenacity that that this team plays with, and if you're telling me right now to look at Oklahoma's schedule and and pinpoint the game that makes me nervous, it's going to be Manhattan, Kansas. Oklahoma goes into Manhattan riding a two game losing streak to the Wildcats, and Skylar Thompson has played a big role in both of those losses. So that's a team I think that could easily jump in the top 25 when you look at 2021. So that that's my two cents. Hey, real real fast as as we wrap this up, Oklahoma baseball, the Sooners the Sooners have done what they what they needed to do. They were never going to win this series against Texas Tech. Now, they took it on the chin uh the last two games losing by a combined score of 28 to 4, but they did what they needed to do. They they won the opener of this series. That was a big win for this team. 25 and 25 on the season. You had series wins against Oklahoma State, a series win against West Virginia. And now they're they're in the last weekend of regular season play. And they're playing they're playing in Waco against Baylor. Now, first game is underway, and it's not going well for Oklahoma. But Rich, I look at this as a series that this is going to determine Oklahoma's postseason fate. You win this series, you're in the postseason, you drop this series, and you're probably not in the postseason. How do you feel about that? Now, I can get on board with that. One of the reasons I think you have to like Oklahoma is that their names are starting to appear in the Big 12 Weekly Awards. Granted, they're giving out three. There's not a lot of opportunity to etch your name alongside two others for those weekly awards. But in Week 11, Oklahoma, a name there. In Week 12, a name there. Obviously, week 13 didn't go maybe as planned, but here we're going into that next week. And again, Matt, one of the things I talked about was momentum off of that Oklahoma State Mm -hmm. series win. And would they be able to build off of it? It appears as though that's quasi what's happening. I'm not saying that this is the top team in the Big 12. I'm not saying that they're going in as the favorite each and every weekend, but I'm saying they're actually showing that they can put up a challenge and they're showing that 
they can win series. I do agree with you, though. If Oklahoma wins the series this weekend, they're in on the postseason. If they don't, they're out. No, yeah, that that's where I am. And, and you know, th- they weren't going to beat Texas Tech. Texas Tech, I believe, is the best team in the Big 12. And they got that that opening win on Friday night, and then it's like, hey, that's what we need to do. We needed to get they right. we needed to win one game in this series. And I'm not going to say they mentally checked out, but I think when you look at those scores, they coasted through the Saturday and Sunday. But that means you got to win. If if they win this series in Waco, they'll end their regular season having won three of their final four series. And the the one series that they lost in that stretch was against arguably the best team in the conference. Here's where you can find us online, heartland-sports.com. We got stuff up every day uh, on the internet. Um, so you can check us out there. You can also find us on Twitter at sports heartland. And uh, we'd love to hear from you. Let us know where you agree or disagree. Uh, thanks so much for, for listening to the sooner nation podcast. You can subscribe to us. You can like us and uh, we would love you forever for doing that. Have a fantastic weekend. Enjoy the Norman regional boomer sooner. Everybody. <laughs>